right, well, good morning, everyone, and happy October 14th, a rainy day in Texas for the most part. We had a fun storm in the middle of the night last night. Anyway, here we are um, today. We're going to focus on how to keep your best employees and some updates on COVID practices. So we have a couple of our favorite people here with us today. We have Ann Price, and Ann is our labor attorney for IIT, and I think some of our members use her as well. So I refer to her as my 911 quick dial whenever I need, need some help. So thank you, Ann, for being with us again and keeping you on track. That's very helpful. My um, pleasure. I, I haven't told you this, but we'd love to get you at Joe Vincent this year. So we'll oh, sure. get yeah. you a date. It's January 31st. We will have Joe Vincent in person. So oh, if wow. folks have ideas for um, different leadership programming, please let us know. We're going to have a quite a different event this year that's going to be a lot more networked and demos on technology and all sorts of different things. So, but we'd love to have you there, Ann, because I think dealing with employment practices is probably one of the most critical topics that's happened through the pandemic as life has changed quite a bit. Yep. So great. If you put I'll that on put your it calendar, on my calendar, I would appreciate that. Thank you. Um, and then we have Kimberly Vasquez, who's the HR manager for Watkins Insurance. And she's always a real great add to our agent roundtables. So next week, I'm sure you'll be there with us as well, Kimberly, as we continue to talk about different practices. And we appreciate you both being here today. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, turn off the uh, screen. And we're just going to go into camera mode so we can visit with each other a little bit. And I'm going to keep you on just because I think you can chime in here a little bit as well. And Will so do. I'll just check with Matt. Is this working the way we should be right now? Yeah, you're good. Okay, great. Okay, thanks, Matt. That's the voice from beyond. <laughs> All right, good. All right, so today we wanted to talk about um, keeping and retaining your best employees. And I've done some interviews with some other agencies and got some different ideas. But Kimberly at the Watkins Agency, they've been doing a lot of stuff. Also, remote work for them was not a new thing before the pandemic. So they've got, they're ahead of a lot of people on how to keep your culture connected and people motivated, incentivized, um, despite not being at the office on a regular basis. So I'm gonna open it up to you, Kimberly, to kind of talk first and foremost as to, you know, what's, what's your philosophy as an organization and what are things that you're paying attention to as we work through the, the today's day and age? I would say the key thing that we do at Watkins is we ask. We ask our employees what what motivates them, what are their needs, because everyone is different. And so we are constantly, anything that we implement, we're always asking for feedback. I think a lot of times organizations forget to evaluate programs. They just get so excited to launch something and they don't go back and ask employees, is this what you thought it was going to be? So I would Tell everyone, uh, don't be afraid to ask your employees uh, what their needs are, what motivates them. Um, start there. Yeah, good. You know, it's interesting in preparation for this presentation, I did a, quite a bit of research. And the one common thing theme I heard was it's all about caring for people. You know, it's, it's all about that authentic desire to understand what people are going through not making assumptions about what people are going through and really taking that time um, to connect, ask people how they're doing both personally and professionally and building that relationship. So how do you guys do that? Kind of what's your sort of protocol and system for connecting with employees and teams and so forth? How are you guys doing that right now? So one of the big things, we've, we've always had department meetings and we would have those monthly and we always had in-person quarterly meetings that we would do. And I really, really like that we we actually close the agency down, everyone and, and they're off site. Um, so we had to make those meetings become virtual. But what we also started doing was having more frequent check ins. You know, it's very easy in person when somebody's walking by to just say, hey, how's it going? So now we've made these very intentional just by stopping and managers will just, you know, do a team's call and just have a conversation that starts with, how are you doing? What's going on? Um, I was on a conference, a virtual conference, and I had never heard this expression, but I want to share it with everyone. Um, 
they were talking about mental health in the pandemic and they said, you know, everyone's in the same storm, but we're on different boats. And I think that is so true. And these uh, impromptu just calling someone and simply asking how you're doing goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to, you know, go ahead, Ann. I was going to say to echo your research, Marit, um, I've been an employment lawyer for 30 years and had a lot of lawsuits along the way. And one of the common themes of the plaintiffs in employment litigation kind of boils down to feeling disrespected, you know, not feeling cared about, you know, feeling, you know, wronged. So a lot of these efforts um, can go a long way to keeping you out of the courthouse. Yeah, yeah. Um, as many of you know who've um, done these programs with us before, my favorite book out there is an oldie but goodie called First Break All the Rules. And, you know, they talk about, you know, the golden rule is how to treat people like you want to be treated. But in this book, they really talk about, and I've heard it referred to as the platinum rule mm -hmm. somewhere at this point, which is actually treat people like they want to be treated, which takes time. And, and one of the things that I, I'm also encouraged by is, is A, you have to ask, so Kimberly, you mentioned that, but B, employees sometimes don't know how they want to be treated. And I think that that's an important conversation to get employees to be able to learn how to communicate, convey, and be clear when something's working and not, because it's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. And so, you know, it's how do you create that culture that employees feel like, you know what, it's just as much my responsibility to share with my team and my supervisor what I need. And it's not just to sit back and wait and see if they fail or not. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the book, in that book, they have an employee engagement survey that you can use. And if anybody wants to do one and wants help from us, let us know. But, you know, in that they say, does somebody care about me as a person? And, and sometimes people think, well, that's got to be the manager's job. And it's actually the team and peers jobs as well. Right. So mm -hmm. we even talk about recognition and reward. Recognition doesn't have to always be the boss. It can be the culture of the team. How do you engage um, uh clients to be part of that storytelling how do you bring you know like i love it when i see an agency and they bring the team together and they bring clients in to talk about a claim and what a great experience that was and how it was a really impactful event for them that the agency followed through and did what delivered on what they promised which also keeps employees motivated to do, to think about what is it that i do every day why does it matter why is it important um, and helping people connect those dots. Those are always some of my favorite. When I hear from employees what they love, they love it when clients are able to come speak to them about that experience. What, I wanted to add real quickly that when I said, you know, um, I think it's important for people to remember that, yes, it's very easy to ask an employee, hey, you know, what what motivates you and what are your needs and things like that. But you have to remember that they, they may not always tell you. And so one of the tools that Watkins has is we have an anonymous suggestion box. It's called suggestions, but it's really for comments um, as well. And I think that's so important because um, people get intimidated by the power levels. And if you're their manager and they may not tell you or they may be afraid to express themselves. And that has really helped us a lot through this whole pandemic with um, any decisions the company's made. Um, I have asked people and I'm telling you, most of the time they're, they're gonna tell you they're fine, everything's okay, but the suggestion box, you really get an idea of what, how some people out there may be feeling um, or what kind of um, incentives they would like. Yep. I would add too, in the context of you know employment law and anti-harassment efforts, that you know people are reluctant to voice complaints. And while there's some you know complicated legal issues about you know anonymity, um, I've come around to suggesting that all clients have some means of employees making comments, complaints, um, suggestions anonymously because you know, that is going to greatly increase your likelihood of hearing about it. And you can't solve a problem unless you know about it to begin with. So I, I think that's an excellent point, Kimberly. Great. So when we talk about incentives, Kimberly, can you talk a little bit about some of the fun ones you all do that kind of 
helps people who are, you know, your high performers be motivated, um, have fun with it, some things like that that you guys do. And then I might comment on what I see some of the other agencies doing that I've talked to recently. So we we have some that are monetary and then we have others that are not. Um, and uh, we always start with the individualizing things, right? Because we want to make sure that we're motivating you. We can't do a blanket approach and expect that everyone's going to jump on board and get excited and motivated. So that's where these uh, conversations, these chats and one-on-ones are very helpful. But um, we have a wellness incentive. If you complete um, certain steps, you can earn a discount on your health insurance. We also have a, a social committee uh, and we have a AWARE committee, which is our community outreach program. Um, and then for uh, monetary things, we have a round out bonus that we give for our staff. It's for um, if they add another line of coverage to a, an account we have, um, they can earn money that way. But we also have a group department um, bonus incentives that are most of them are going to be, you know, growth versus loss and things like that but we're uh, constantly just evaluating and we are we do change them pretty frequently based on the feedback we get from employees yeah good um it reminds me of one of my favorite comments is things have to be equitable not equal right so it's making sure that they're fair there's a team that i worked with several years ago and they brought in their producers and really asked them you know what's a really meaningful reward for exceeding performance right so it wasn't just about are you hitting your goals but man if you really hit the big numbers this year what would be interesting to you and you know somebody would say you know i want my membership at a country club paid for another person might say i want to take my family on a cruise but finding things that you wouldn't normally spend money on because you'd want to pay your mortgage or pay the bills or fix the mm -hmm. fence or whatever that's what i have to do at my house i'm holding out because of the wood expense these days mm -hmm. um but really from a standpoint of getting people to think about those long longer term bigger incentives that if I work through this, not only will I be, you know, obviously financially successful, but there's something really cool at the end of it that would, would really keep me going. So that's one thing that we've done with agencies. Um, another thing. I, I was going to add real quickly is we invest a lot in education. And uh, so we have conversations with employees. If they want to pursue a designation, we will support them. If they want to be, uh, we'll pay for memberships, you know, going back to what's important to that individual. And I think um, the fact that we invest so much in education really goes a long way to say that we really care about our employees. We want you to be your best and we're here to support you um, through education. Yeah. And we know professional development, you know, being able to come mm -hmm. somewhere and you know that the employer is concerned about your career and what your development goals are is more important sometimes than those monetary compensation. Compensation's great, mm -hmm. but knowing that I'm going to be be appreciated, that's one of my favorite terms about employees. If we appreciate them, we're actually helping them develop and grow, right? Not depreciating them over time. So I, I think that's a great one. And then your comment about community service. You know, there's so many people in our in our um, on our teams that love to do that. And so being able to give them time to go do that during work hours and represent the organization and themselves in the community can be such a great win for us to help people stay connected and feel like they're making a difference in their lives. And it, was, it really was big during this whole pandemic. You know, what can we do to help and support others uh, so that, you know, and I know a lot of our employees really appreciated that as well. Yeah, awesome. Right. Yeah, good. As far, I know a lot of employee, employers out there do 401k programs, which obviously is a great long-term benefit. We obviously, we work to make sure everybody's maximizing it the most that they can, because otherwise you're just leaving money on the table when there's those match programs. Um, I have talked to a couple agencies that have actually set up annuities for some of their key employees so that they're, they keep them connected and they know at a certain point that'll become almost a deferred compensation. So that's an interesting model 
especially if you aren't able to offer ownership opportunities, which may not always be the case for people. So that's an interesting twist that I've seen. Um, I've also I've talked to an agency recently that is building a, a, fi a financial pool. So instead of putting mm -hmm. all the money into bonuses, they're actually putting it into a financial pool that grows. And at certain milestones in your career, you get paid out. There's like fire departments that, you know, volunteer fire departments that when people retire, they get certain amounts. So they're kind of playing with that model to say, OK, we not only do we want to take care of people along the way, but we want our high performers to stay for the long haul and helping them sort of create that additional bucket in the long run that I like as well. So that's kind of a fun one that I've heard recently. Um, and then one of the things that I also hear about sometimes, and we don't always talk about contingencies with our employees and profit sharing, but there are some agencies that will carve out a substantial amount of that and pay it as bonuses in the spring. Um, and it does two things. One, it's obviously a nice financial windfall for people. But secondly, it actually reinforces placing business with the carriers that make the biggest financial difference to an organization. Now, that's not to say you don't place it with the best aid carrier if there's you know, a better program for someone, but it actually helps people kind of connect it to those long-term goals. How do you support the carriers that are key to your agency and their growth models and the incentive and bonus programs, but everybody wins as part of that process. So those are some of the um, more recent things that I'm seeing people do and try out that help from a standpoint of long-term sustainability and maintaining people. And people think a little bit differently than just, well, I don't get exactly what I want today, so I'm going to leave. I mean, I read, and maybe you can comment on this, that there's some number out there like 44% of people are looking to change their jobs in the next year. I mean, that's an enormous wave that we're seeing. Can you comment a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I don't know the exact statistics, but you know, I'm certainly seeing a lot of articles about, you know, the, the tsunami of, you know, resignations. You know, people for a variety of reasons um, are deciding now is the time to look for greener pastures. So it's increasingly important for employers to focus on retention strategies because it's so difficult, especially in a tight labor market, to replace those um, mm -hmm. individuals who, who may leave for greener pastures. Uh, so it's really, really important to hang on to the employees that you have. Yep, yep. Kim, do you want to comment on that? Yes, I, I think when we were talking about earlier um, about compensation not being the, you know, the answer to everything. I think it's these other programs that are really important. I feel that employees now are looking for things that are more than just, you know, benefits and compensation. They're looking for things. Does this organization align with my values? Uh, what kind of opportunities do I get? You know, professional development, um, career paths. And what kind of flexibility? Flexibility is so big yes. right now. Yep. There's a lot of employers um, that I've read as well that said, OK, we're ready to return to the office. Let's do this. And it's rubbed employees the wrong way. So now they're looking for full time remote. And that is something that we've had to um, talk about and be a little more flexible about because yep. they can easily find full-time remote now. Yep. Um, yep. So I feel more of this great resignation. I've read articles like that. Mm -hmm. The great resignation, I think it's more than just the compensation. It's about the work-life balance, although a big buzzword, is really what is driving, I think, a lot of these resignations. Yeah, I think it's going to be really challenging for employers to find the right mix of remote work and, you know, in-person collaboration and, you know, how do you schedule that? You know, do you, you know, do you have people work in the office Monday, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with Monday and Friday at home? What if, you know, you've got people who are full-time remote? How do you incorporate them into meetings? I think uh, people, the, the experiment with work from home that uh, was imposed upon all of us with COVID has really open Pandora's box and, you know, many, many employees really value the uh, ability to work from home 
some mm-hmm. or, or all of the time. Another yeah. thing we had to adjust, I was going to mention, was uh, we've been thinking about our dress code policy. So we were always business casual because most of us were coming into the office. We did have a hybrid work environment before. Um, but when we uh, when Texas did the shutdown, we decided that those that were coming into the office, you know, wear jeans, be presentable. And so when we in July decided to bring our staff back, that question was asked and can we still wear jeans? And that was another mind shift that we had to work through is, um, is it really that bad if someone wears jeans on a Tuesday and it's not Friday, you know? So that was another thing that people got comfortable being at home and dressing a certain way at home. And then, you know, the ones that were coming in the office, they also got comfortable with jeans. That was another did you thing. Have, we did did you have pajama bottoms on there, Kimberly, there at the office today and slippers? No. <laughs> I'd love None to see that. Patrick Watkins show up in, in uh, pajamas. Yeah. No, but it's, it's true. And actually, it's funny because we're actually revising our employee manual right now because there's so many policies that are kind of obsolete. And I'll use one, mm-hmm. for instance, inclement weather really does, unless there's a snow apocalypse where nobody can get on the internet, um, mm-hmm. just because it snows doesn't mean we can't continue business 100% from home as long as there's electricity, you know, power, internet, those kinds of things. So, you know, what is the policy mm-hmm. when it is related to that? But I have heard of several agencies that tried to be fairly rigid coming back about the work at the office and they did it for the right reasons. We want people reconnected. We want people together. And they lost some great employees over that. So being taking your time to carefully adjust those things and hear people's concerns is, I think, a really mm-hmm. key way. And I like how you've sort of said, like, let's let's beta test it a little bit. Let's check on and people and what's working or not. Interestingly enough, we brought back our staff two days a week and we've scheduled it so there it's purposeful, right? So you're we know that people are going to see each other and interact. Everyone's here on Wednesdays for the most part. We've tried to change all of our collaborative meetings to be in person. So we're trying to eliminate as few as many of the Zoom meetings as possible. A, they're much more fun and interactive mm-hmm. when you're together as a group, but also um, it really builds relationships. And it's not that you can't be highly productive with a call like this, but it just engages differently. Your brain isn't tired at the end. There's a lot of good laughter that happens. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the other day I asked one of the departments if, you know, cause they, they really were more geared towards let's work from home. And I said, do we need to adjust it and just be one day a week? So we're all here. And they actually said, you know what, we weren't really that excited about being here, but now it's been a couple months and it's part of our new routine. We really like it that it's two days a week. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. sometimes it's asking people, to give it a try and see what it looks like later instead of just reacting to what it felt like the first week or second week when it's an awkward adjustment and change and change in routine. Um, We wouldn't be dealing with this, I don't think, if it had been just a three-month issue, right? But to to be a year and a half, it changed everything, you know, that we do and how we deal with that kind of stuff. So um, I would encourage people who are on the call if you haven't done an employee engagement survey um, recently, you really should. Um, and also put in some of those questions about people's level of comfort. And it's another way to you both of your points of getting anonymous feedback and checking mm-hmm. in and just seeing how are people feeling about it? What are some other ideas? What things would you like to have addressed um, as part of a, a regular I think we're running engagement surveys almost on a six month basis right now just to make sure we can touch certain questions and uh, find out if there's something we're missing at. And it's certainly easier with smaller organizations than larger ones, um, but that doesn't mean that they're not mutually important at the end of the day. Before we flip over to Anne, I know you've got some slides specifically on Mm -hmm. COVID. Um, Kimberly, are there any books right now that you would highly recommend for folks to be reading with their teams. I know many of us do book clubs with teams, which people love. I know it's weird. If you haven't done it before, it can be a little weird at first, but it really gets that philosophy conversation going and builds culture. Um, are, are there some favorite ones you'd like to throw out there? I really like Radical Candor by Kim Scott. That talks a lot about 
um, caring personally. You know, we were talking about that um, early on about, you know, getting to know people, um, making sure that they know that you care about them. Uh, I think that's a great book. I really like that book. I'm also came across another book. I haven't read it, but I think um, since we're so virtual in the world right now, I think it's worth looking at it. It's this book called Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. And it's by Erica Dawn. Uh, I'm definitely going to be looking at that. And I, uh, I love all of Brene Brown books. Awesome. Those are great books. Good. Yeah. And the, the most recent book club we did with our team is we did the book, The Advantage. Um, and it's by Patrick Lanchoni. And I, we've talked about him before. He's got a great website called thetablegroup.com. Um, he, so he's got several books, you know, Five Dysfunctions of the Team, The Ideal Team Player. Um, so if you're ever looking for a good book in regards to that, please, please think about it this fall, connecting your teams on doing some chapters and parts and use it as an opportunity to share ideas and thoughts and how you can continue to build the culture. So with that, thank you, Kimberly. I, I, I'm going to keep you on, so if you don't mind, and we're going to flip over to um, you, Anne. I know you've got some slides put together on, uh, let's see if I can figure out how I'm doing this. So <laughs> <laughs> that's always the question. All right. Yeah, I, I have no books to recommend because I've been busy reading executive orders which we'll talk about <laughs> i bet you have minute. that's yeah. a good busy reading time for yes. sure so <laughs> good so as we've mentioned here's ann's email so if you do have any specific questions or you want to reach out to her you're welcome to do that man you've been such a great resource for us as the association so i'm going to move you Thank into you. your slides and i'll hope to keep up with you along the way here all right, so the biggest change and update to talk about regarding COVID practices is the issue of vaccine mandates. Yes or no? Can you? Must you? Um, and the answer depends on a, a number of different factors. Um, as many of you probably heard in the news, earlier this week, uh, Governor Abbott issued an executive order on the topic. And it's pretty short. Um, so I guess I probably should have found some other management book to read. But anyway, um, what the executive order provides is that no entity in Texas, that includes public entities and private employers, no entity in Texas can compel receipt of a COVID-19 vaccine by any individual, including employees or consumers, if that individual or consumer objects to the vaccination for a set of reasons. Um, the language of the executive order says, for any reason of personal conscience, comma, based on a religious belief, comma, or for medical reasons, including prior recovered, recovery from COVID-19. So the grammarian you know, asks, is this two reasons um, for which an employee or consumer can object to a, a vaccine. Um, and, you know, according to the rules of, you know, the Oxford comma, it's, it's three reasons. Um, it's any reason of personal conscience, a reason based on a be religious belief, or a medical reason. Um, uh, however, you know, in context, it, it seems like the phrase for a religious belief is modifying personal conscience. Um, so how to resolve this um, interpretation question is a little bit up in the air. I think the safer practice, I suppose, is to give it the broad reading that, you know, if you um, are an employer who wants to um, have a vaccine mandate, um, you need to be mindful of employees who object to that for reasons of conscience, reasons of a religious belief, or for medical reasons. Um, interesting thing about the executive order is that he includes uh, in medical reasons prior recovery from COVID-19 which um, if you're looking at the Americans with Disabilities Act and whether an accommodation 
would be required for a medical uh, vaccine mandate under that law, um, prior recovery would not, um, you know, qualify. Um, it's really under the ADA limited to narrower circumstances where uh, a medical condition would prevent you from getting the vaccine. Um, what is the penalty um, if you're an employer and you want to, or based on the next slide, you know, feel there's other reasons why you need to have a vaccine mandate? Um, that is also unclear. Um, the executive order says that the penalty is the maximum allowed under government code, uh, provision of the government code, and the state's emergency plan. Well, I haven't looked for the state's emergency plan, but one of my esteemed partners said he spent about two hours looking for it the other day and, you know, couldn't find it. Presumably, this is what was uh, promulgated by the Texas Department of Emergency Management, um, but it's apparently not easily um, located. Um, so then we look at the statute, and the statute says that, I suppose, the penalty that the maximum penalty that that could be in an emergency plan would be $1,000. Well, does that mean $1,000 per employer who decides to have a vaccine mandate despite the executive order? Does it mean per employee who is subject to uh, a vaccine mandate when per the executive order they shouldn't? You know, I think the better argument is $1,000 is, is the cap given, you know, sort of a fair reading of the government code that says $1,000. So, you know, if, if worst case scenario, you, um, you're an employer who decides to or feels you must pursuant to other law have a vaccine mandate and the state provides you with a bill for $27,000 because you had 27 employees, I think you've got a pretty good argument that based on the government code provision limiting the maximum penalty to $1,000 that, you know, no, $1,000 is, is the cap. So, um, as I alluded to earlier, there, there may be some other uh, issues counseling you or m that make you feel as an employer, you must have a vaccine mandate. Um, if you are an employer with fewer than 100 employees and you are not a federal government contractor, you can at least have some clarity that the only legal regulation you need to look to is the executive order and you have a clear answer under that that you should not um, have a vaccine mandate. However, you know, we live in a, in a country that is, you know, has a federal government and states, concept of federalism, and sometimes these models collide with one another. Um, President Biden announced um, in uh, the beginning of September, I, guess, I think it was September 9th, um, a number of measures to control the spread of covid in the face of the Delta variant. One of them was this idea that if you are a federal government contractor, whether you're at the prime level or a subcontractor, um, you need to require your employees to be vaccinated. Um, the executive order that issued to follow this press conference is also, um, has also been followed by some guidelines. And the guidelines say that, that the deadline for full vaccination is December 8th of 2021. So if you're talking about a two dose regimen, um, that means that the first dose you know, needs to be taken no later than November 10th in order to meet that deadline. In contrast to Governor Abbott's executive order, the exemptions for uh, accommodations are much narrower. In fact, the guideline uses the words, you know, limited circumstances of a legal entitlement to accommodation 
for religious reasons or disability. And again, that is subject to the employer's ability to say, no, you are not entitled, uh, even if you are legally entitled to an accommodation, like your medical condition fits within the, the confines of what the CDC says is a contraindication for getting a vaccine. And there's, you know, that condition applies to all the different vaccines. Um, there's still the possibility that the federal government contractor employer could say no. Allowing you to not have this vaccine is an undue hardship. Um, that's a tough hurdle to to overcome. You know, it's tough to show that it really is an undue hardship. Um, it's a little bit easier to say no based on undue hardship for accommodations requested for religious reasons. And the uh, background on that is is the Supreme Court decided a case regarding religious accommodations in, I believe it was 1977. And the issue was whether an airline had to accommodate a worker's request for um, Saturdays off to observe the Sabbath. And the majority opinion said, no, it would be an undue hardship to require the airline to provide that accommodation because it would have to pay somebody else overtime in order to cover for that weekend shift. And the dissent pointed out that um, under uh, that calculation, it would be, I don't know, I think it was like $177 a week, something like that. Um, so, so the threshold is pretty clear, you know, it's, it's a low, uh, a low level to be able to say, no, uh, it's too, too hard for me to give you that uh, accommodation. But suffice it to say that um, it's a much narrower measurement of, of whether you can, as an employer subject to the executive order, give somebody an exemption to the um, vaccine mandate. The other interesting aspect to the executive order is that it applies to workers who work on federal premises, um, who work away from a federal location, but on the federal contract. In, it, in addition, it applies to employees who work in connection with the federal contract. So, so, you know, people in HR who support the workers on the federal contract, people in accounting who put together the invoice that we send to the federal government, they are swept into to this mandate. But it goes even further than that. It says that if the guidance, that is, says that if an employee who either works on or in connection with the federal contract is at a workplace, the other employees who may have no connection whatsoever to the federal contract are also swept into the vaccine mandate. Um, this law or this, this guidance, I should say, um, that was issued pursuant to Biden's executive order um, doesn't have any uh, minimum number of employee threshold for coverage. So if you're a federal contractor um, and you have few employees or many employees, um, you're equally covered. The big question is, um, and I'm sure it will be challenged, is whether this is enforceable. Um, there's a federal law called the Administrative Procedures Act that prescribes a methodology for agencies, federal government agencies, to issue um, rules or regulations. And there's a process for uh, publishing in the Federal Register a proposed rule, gathering notice and comment from affected parties, and being able to establish a record that shows that the regulation is you know, necessary and reasonable. Um, none of that was done um, in connection with guidelines. In fact, it's interesting that, that, that they're called guidelines. You know, I mean, the concept of a guideline is sort of the opposite of a mandate. Um, so um, the, the C's are choppy here with regard to, you know, whether you're a federal contractor who's affected 
And, you know, what do you do about the conflict with um, the Texas uh, governor's executive order? The next issue to, to consider with respect to vaccine mandates is the possibility of a coming OSHA emergency temporary standard for employers with 100 or more employees. Again, at the same press conference on September 9th, President Biden announced a directive to OSHA to issue an executive, I mean, a, an emergency temporary standard applicable to employers with 100 and more employees to require vaccination, of course, subject to legally required accommodations for religious reasons or disabilities. Um, again, that was September 9th. We're now at October 14th and there's, you know, nothing for me to read. <laughs> so again, no excuse to not have, um, you know, recommendations on good management books. So the last I read in the newspaper yesterday was that the proposed emergency temporary standard was sent to the White House for review. Um, it hasn't been published um, in the Federal Register yet, um, but should be coming soon. As a matter of history, um, there have only been 10 emergency temporary standards issued by OSHA in the last 50 years. Six of those 10 were challenged in court as being, you know, not compliant with the Administrative Procedures Act, you know, being um, uh, in excess of OSHA's regulatory authority, you know, not being supported by the record in terms of whether this is a, you know, a necessarily necessary restriction, whether it's uh, effective. Of those six that have been challenged in court, only one have been upheld. So if, you know, history predicts the future, the likelihood of, of this emergency temporary standard withholding judici judicial scrutiny um, is is kind of dim. And again, we will see, um, we will definitely see litigation over this order once it's issued. So what do you do if you're an employer caught in the crossfire? Um, if you're either a federal contractor or um, you're, um, you know, as we get into the future and the standard comes out and you have 100 or more employees, what do you do? Um, that's an interesting question. <laughs> Yeah. And you can, you know, I can sort of formulate ideas for an answer based on different perspectives. You know, one might be um, which, uh, which violation is more consequential in terms of, of a monetary penalty. Um, and that would clearly be um, uh, the, violating the OSHA standard. I mean, the OSHA standard, I think the penalty they were saying per violation was 14000 Again, it's, you know, it's an order of magnitude above the $1,000 that we might see under the Texas um, enforcement of the um, governor's order. If you're a federal contractor and you decide not to apply, maybe you're a federal contractor who doesn't have 100 um, employees, but you don't want a vaccine mandate and you want to point instead to, well, gee, I got to comply with, I'm in Texas, so I have to comply with the governor's uh, executive order. The potential consequence there might be losing your federal government contract. Um, again, whether that would ultimately happen you know, after the the guidance is challenged, you know, could you ultimately, you know, prevail on a theory that that the president's executive order was not enforceable? Maybe, uh, but in the meantime, you know, if you are your business is heavily dependent on an income stream from a federal contract, that's going to give you some real um, real heartburn on, on what to do. So, um, although I like to pretend I always have the answers, that's, um, that's one where I got to say, you know, you, if you're caught in the crossfire, you need to get with your legal counsel and try to figure out for your organization what the best path forward would be. 
So now let's go back to, you know, the other COVID protective measures. What are what is the status there? Well, I think in fact, it was it was a morning with Merritt that I talked about um, this, I think, back in April, kind of summarized all the different things that employers are supposed to do and the reasons why they should do them. First, um, as an employer, as a business, there's the possibility of a negligence negligence claim to third parties, you know, your customers, people who come on your premises, if you're not being sufficiently or appropriately careful about protecting people from exposure to COVID. And there's also the possibility um, of employees claiming negligence against you, even if you're a subscriber to workers' comp. That issue is still kind of up in the air as to whether um, COVID is... um, within the comp scheme because there's there's an exception to the definition of an occupational illness that uh, would would encompass illnesses that everybody's exposed to you know regardless of work and COVID is obviously um, such a thing so what do we do to be careful and what do we look at toward for um, uh, instruction on you know what the standard of care is and and what applies to us, you know, as employers, independent or on top of, of a negligence duty. So we look to um, OSHA guidance. And OSHA guidance, you know, checked it this morning, and it still sort of cross-references, cross-links with the CDC, and says that even if a person is fully vaccinated, if they are in an area of substantial or high transmission, um, they should continue to mask, which means employers should continue to require them to mask in public indoor spaces. Um, They should continue to social distance and to avoid crowds and poorly ventilated places. If you wanna know whether a particular location is one of substantial or high transmission, there's a link on, the CDC website where you can put in the county or the city or the metropolitan area or the state. And Travis County um, is still showing up with a red dot as an area of substantial transmission. So that indicates that, you know, if you're an employer here in Travis County, um, you should still be requiring your employees who are fully vaccinated. Um, And of course, by default, you know, employees who are not fully vaccinated to mask, social distance, and, you know, make sure that you have good ventilation. Um, Assuming that we move out of the uh, designation of substantial or high transmission, which, you know, I think think is looking looking favorable. The numbers are coming down. I think we're in stage three in Travis County. Um, We weren't, you know, stage five not long ago. Um, So assuming we move out of that, you know, OSHA would still counsel to provide masks um, at least to your unvaccinated uh, workers or people who are um, at, um, uh, you know, additional risk, uh, whether or not they're vaccinated, physical distancing again. And if physical distancing is not possible to use shields, barriers or ventilations, same, you know, rules about staying home if you're sick. Um, and OSHA also, uh, in the guidance, again, you know, what's the difference between guidance and mandate these days? It's, you know, kind of blurry. The lines are a little bit blurry. But OSHA states, and I quote, that employers should grant paid time off for vaccination um, and for side effects that may occur uh, post-vaccination. Again, this seems to me a little bit outside of OSHA's purview. Um, it seems like something that's more, you know, in a different division of, of, of Department of Labor, the Wage and Hour Division. But, you know, that's what's out there on the website if you look. So, again, in an abundance of caution, you know, I would counsel employers to comply, comply um, with these uh, quote-unquote guidance um, statements from OSHA. Um, with respect to the rules about, you know, 
when employees should quarantine after exposure and how long they must isolate if they're infected. Um, again, I advise comply with the CDC's guidance. Um, and that changes from time to time. So, you know, I think as each instance occurs, you should double check and make sure that we are still, um, uh, you know, that, that you have the latest and greatest recommendation on that. Um, but basically, it depends on whether uh, you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. You know, the testing requirement depends on, you know, how much time has passed. As we know, getting tested too soon can sometimes result in a false negative. Um, and, um, you know, the, the rules are a little bit complicated. Um, so like I said, best to, as you are faced with a situation, check and make sure that you've, you're, you're aware of and in compliance with the latest and greatest. And then of course the fine print, you know, this is just a presentation, presentation, you know, I'm not giving specific legal advice. Um, if you need specific legal advice, you know, please consult with your attorney. Um, so yeah, things basically, um, big changes on big, but uncertain in application changes with respect to vaccine mandates. As far as the other COVID stuff, I think it's pretty much still, still continued to do all the things. Um, yep at least while we're still in um, substantial transmission. Good. Thank you, Anne. It, it's constantly a moving target sure. <laughs> and complicated, yeah. you know, and one of the things that occurs to me is as agencies, you might have risk managers out there with federal contracts mm -hmm. and stuff. So understanding who and how you're connected can be fairly complicated as well. So hopefully that's helpful for folks. We'll keep this information moving fairly current um, for people, but if you, you know, if you listen to this and you think it'd be helpful for somebody else in your office to hear about, these programs are always on demand later. And of course, today's sort of date stamp today as to what is current. Um, so we'll try and good. keep people <laughs> up and current. How's that for a good, good point for yeah. you? <laughs> good. Well, next week we will have our agents roundtable, so you can register for that. And that's a program at 10 o'clock next Thursday that will focus on the topics we talked about today. We'd love to hear from you as agents as to what you're doing and maybe we can pick up a few more great ideas for everybody in that regard. And then um, in November, we're actually going to do a legislative update with our um, the Senior Vice President of Government Affairs with IIABA, our National Association, and Lee Loftus. Um, we'll be running that program in, in a month, so please go ahead and get registered for that event as well. And with that, I want to thank you guys for being part of the program today. And uh, Kimberly, thank you for your insights and sharing what you guys are doing. And Anne, thank you to you for always keeping us current on what we need to be paying attention to. It's not a fun topic, I'm sure. <laughs> Very challenging. Very, Very challenging. challenging. I call it job security, Anne. I mean, both true. for HR and, you know, so both of you seem to be fine for a long time. That's true. There's always a silver lining if you there always up, is. I guess. Good. Well, thank you both. You guys have a great day. Thank you, everyone, for you joining too. us today and have a wonderful October. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.